Hjertelig velkommen til et nytt program på Israel-kanalen. Denne gangen så er vi på besøk hjemme hos Svig Königsberg i Jerusalem. Welcome to the program, Svig. Thank you, Arkel. Uh, last time you were on here, we were talking about the altar on Joshua's altar on Ebal. And at that time it was very new to me. And since then I've been able to study more. I've written, I've uh, read your book, uh, The Lost Temple of Israel. And I found it very interesting to read it because you are in, su in such a lively way. You are describing your uh, experience of the, 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 the exploration there up there and also the, the reve revelation of what it really was. Uh, and also been learning a lot more about Adam Sertal and what he was doing. And since then there has been developments up there and I want you to give us an okay. introduction of what happened next. I'll run you through this. Um, basically, uh, just before the Intifada in December of... Uh, not the Intifada, the Intifada Corona, Covid. Yeah. <laughs> Covid intifada, same thing. <laughs> yeah, it was very <laughs> bad. <laughs> same kind of a plague. Yeah. <laughs> um, in December of 2019, um, the neighboring Arabs in the town of Asir Shamalia, which is the nearest town near the altar, and the people from some family from there owns the ground actually. They began to show uh, serious interest in the place. They brought the Palestinian uh, Minister of Tourism to the site and he said he called it a Paris Palestinian heritage site, which of course is uh, ridiculous. And uh, we had left there from the excavations big piles of earth and whatever they contained. So we decided, uh, friends of Adam, who had passed away in uh, four years earlier, in 2015, to vacate as much as we could and to sift it and see if there's anything in there. And very soon afterwards, um, well, backtrack one bit, uh, there's a Dr. Scott Stripling who uh, ordinarily directs the excavations at Shiloh for the past few years, so he took upon himself to um, arrange this, and he sifted the materials with his very sophisticated sifting uh, method and came up with a number of things. One of them was a blade that uh, was dated, blade of bronze, dated to the late bronze era, and it's the kind of thing that would have been used to cut the heads of the sacrificial animals. Wow. Yes. And the other thing, which is even much more important, was a lead amulet that was built like an oyster. So it was like sealed. And uh, a lady from the Antiquities Authority, who was the biggest expert on these kind of things, tried to open it and it began to uh, crumble at the edges. So she stopped and then COVID started. So uh, Dr. Stripling asked me if I could find out where we could get this thing opened and deciphered somehow if there's any writing in it. So I began a long, difficult search during the time of the COVID to try to figure this out. Now, what you, could you do during that period was almost only on the internet. So I was writing an article 
uh, one, my last article that appears in this website, the Torah.com, all of them relating to uh, the work of Adam Zertal and the, the altar and the survey. And um, there was a site on Facebook which enabled people to exchange uh, articles on Facebook uh, and to, you know, they ask for an article and somebody sees, sees that uh, you need it and he has it, he sends it to you. So, um, I asked, I talked to Professor Gabi Barkai, I don't know if you've met, yeah, you've met Gabi, him. okay, and Gabi remembered that in the Getty Museum in Los Angeles, many, many years ago, he's talking about 40 years ago, they opened all kinds of sealed things. So, I tried to think, where am I going to get to the Getty Museum in Los Angeles in the middle of COVID. Then I remembered one person, one professor at UCLA in Los Angeles, where the Getty Museum is, helped me out with an, an article. So I wrote him, I asked him, do you know the people at the Getty? And he said, sure. He sent me the email of the director of the museum. I sent one email, sent another email. During the time of COVID, it was not easy to get a reply. Finally, I get a reply uh, with uh, he sends me also the email of his chief curator, and he said, listen, write to her, tell her what, what your uh, issue is. I did. And then, this is a miracle. The day that she received my email uh, asking what to do with this uh, lead amulet, she received an article which was uh, in a uh, scientific journal from the Academy of Science in Prague. It's the Czech Academy of Science, and these people deal with uh, investigating the writings mainly of cuneiform uh, from uh, Mesopotamia. And they describe the process of being able to deal with lead amulets. So she wrote me back, sent me the article, I contacted uh, Dr. Daniel Vavrik in Prague, who wrote the article, we began to exchange information, and uh, he got the description of what there is. And find the, and, but there was a problem <laughs> because uh, Scott Stripling had locked the the amulet in a uh, safe that he keeps in Shiloh, and he couldn't get here because of the COVID to open the safe and take out the amulet. So <laughs> finally, he was able to get here on a journalist's. Uh, visa, a special thing in July, and the end of July, uh, last July, I went to Prague. I spent three days um, in this town called Telts, where the European Union had donated to the Academy a million euro to build a special uh, tomographic uh, piece of equipment, which looks through all sorts of uh, metal materials. Wow. And this was, they had it behind the door, which was isolated because it's radioactive uh, rays and all of that. So it was taking pictures all the time. We were, three days we spent, my eyes were <laughs> going <laughs> in different directions because we were looking at photographs that the machine was taking of the amulet in every different direction. And we began to see the beginnings of what looked like writing, but it was impossible to make out really uh, what letters were there or anything like that. So I had to go back. So I went back, took the amulet back, and a month later they said, listen, we need it again. 
because we think we can do something uh, to improve. So we went again and um, they put it through another series of photographic equipment. In the end, they made a 3D model composite of all the work that they had done, put it together and made a 3D model, and then letters began to appear. Hmm. Now, bottom line, it's going to be in a news conference a week from Thursday on the 24th of March, Scott Stripling in Texas, who's with the Associates of Biblical Research, which is a, an evangelical school that teaches Bible and archaeology. Uh, he's going to present the results to the world. And the results are that the amulet contains, first of all, ancient Hebrew writing that is very uh, carefully dated to the same time that Adam Zertal dated the excavation site of Mount Ebal, the end of the 13th, beginning of the 12th century BC. And something that I, I, your viewers or listeners are going to find this hard to believe until they actually see it. But I promise you I saw it. And there are curses on that amulet which read in the same structure and type as those mentioned in Deuteronomy 28, which is the chapter uh, in the Bible which recites all of the blessings and curses. The exact same formula, uh, linguistic formula. And there's no question, as a result, that the site that we excavated is the one that's mentioned in Deuteronomy 27 and Joshua 8, as the site of the ceremony of the blessing and the curse. Yeah. Now, this makes it also the oldest Hebrew writing ever found in the land of Israel, which is also pretty interesting yeah. in itself. And the results are mind-boggling. Now, what's most interesting to me, I've been looking, researching this um, very carefully, I would say, from October... 14th, 1980, 13th, 1983, which is when the day we realized that this was an altar. Mm. And I have come to a series of conclusions. Some of these conclusions are, number one, there's a phrase in the book of Deuteronomy um, that the place that he will choose, he, capital H, God, What's the place that God chooses? The site of the temple. Now, ordinarily, both tradition and academia uh, independently have considered the fact that the identity of that place that he will choose is Jerusalem. But I prove that it's not. I prove that it's Mount Ebal. At least the first mentions of the place that he will choose referred to Mount Ebal. There are later mentions, probably referring to different places, but that's another story. Yeah. But probably the less mentioned certainly belong to Jerusalem. So the thing is, the, the, I, the concept of the place that he will choose was not a static concept relating to one site only, but it's something that over time moved until it landed up in Jerusalem. Now, all of my, and another thing, um, 
the bulk of the study in universities of Bible, especially Torah, the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, are interested in uh, when these things were written down. And the overwhelming consensus in science is that the materials in the book of Deuteronomy belong to what they call source D, which is D because of Deuteronomy, dated to the time of King Josiah around 620 B.C. I prove, basically, that at least these segments were written at the time of the occurrences, which is 600 years earlier, which means that an overwhelming large percentage of the scholarship of the last few hundred years in this subject matter has to be revisited at least and probably revised and sometimes thrown out into the trash. See, not so simple. Yeah. Not so simple. Now, what's even more interesting for me is that um, just before we found the amulet, a few weeks before we found it, I gave a lecture at the Bible Lands Museum uh, here in Jerusalem. Every Wednesday there's a lecture series on different topics. And I gave a lecture on Mount Ebal. And a friend of mine was there, Professor Yair Zakovich, who um, last year was granted the Israel Prize in Bible, which is like the Nobel Prize uh, in, you know, on the world stage. It's the most important uh, prize anyone can get. And uh, he's been a professor at Hebrew University for a long time. He was Dean of Humanities at one time. He said, what's missing from your entire uh, concept and theory is finding writing at the site. And six weeks later, that's what happened. Okay. When the amulet was discovered. Okay, wonderful. Um, last time we, I were here, I got a phone call from you, and you were very, very excited because you have discovered something in the Bible about uh, Joseph blessing oh, yes. his sons. Uh, okay. Tell us more about that. For the past 3,000 years, approximately, People have been uh, looking for an explanation for something that happened in Genesis 48. The book of Genesis uh, 48, uh, Genesis has 50 chapters. And uh, towards the end of the book, of course, the uh, patriarchal period ends. And the last patriarch, uh, Jacob, is about, he went down to Egypt and he's about to pass away. And he wants to bless, bless the children before he leaves this world. So, the first to be blessed are uh, the two sons of uh, Joseph. Joseph, Manasseh and Ephraim. And what happens is a very intricate uh, description in the Bible where Joseph brings his two sons to his father. Rembrandt made a picture of, what he, of his concept of that occasion. And he sets up his son so that the right hand of his father will be on top of the head of the elder son, Manasseh, and the left hand on Ephraim, the younger son. 
And what Jacob does is switches his hands and goes like this. In other words, gives the primary blessing to the younger son, uh, Ephraim. And Joseph tries to take, tries to move his hands and he says, no, no, I know what I'm doing. The older one's a nice kid, but the younger one will be more important. And all sorts of, you'll excuse me, silly explanations have been given for this. There, this chapter is 22 sentences in the Bible. It means that it's something significant. And one day I woke up and I recalled that on the 14th of October, 1983, when I first met Professor Benjamin Mazar, who was president of Hebrew University, did the excavations along the Western Wall after the war in 1967, and became from that day a good friend for 10 years, um, we, I took him to Mount Ebal, and on the way back home to Jerusalem, we stopped off at Shiloh when uh, Professor Israel Finkelstein was excavating there at the time. And I asked Finkelstein, when did Shiloh begin to function as a central cultic site of Israel? And he said, 1150 BC. Now, 1150 BC is precisely the time that Adam Zertal thought that Mount Ebal finished its job and was deliberately covered and never visited again even. There's no sign of uh, later pottery at the site. The coincidence was too great, too great. But you see, Mount Ebal is in the area of the elder son, and Shiloh is in the area of the younger son, Ephraim. In other words, this probably meant the transfer of the central holy site of Israel from the elder son Manasseh to the younger son Ephraim. How do we know that that makes sense from a biblical perspective? We go to the next chapter in 49.10, uh, the blessing that gives, Jacob gives to Judah, he mentions Shiloh specifically. In other words, Shiloh is an important concept within the blessings of Jacob. So Professor Mazar heard this explanation I grabbed my hand, and his hand was shaking. His hand was shaking. He said, listen, get serious. You have to start researching this. Write this down. And that's what started a very, very long search to understand the connections between the site, the Bible, history, and a million other things. Yeah. So... Uh when the Israelites came back from Egypt, they started their, their central uh, religious site at Mount Ebal. Then after a few decades, they moved it down to Shiloh that took over. That's what it looks like. And, and in some occasion, they even closed that down and moved it to Jerusalem. Well, they didn't close it because they were attacked by the Philistines. The Philistines conquered Shiloh and took the Ark away, and that's when Shiloh finished to be an important place. So the Ark was very important for the oh, for the religious activities. Extremely. Yeah. So but yeah, so so but this progress that you can see towards Jerusalem, uh, how do you what do you how do you look at that when you made that discovery about? Uh, Joseph, his blessings, and the, the actually movement of the 
the religious uh, center between those places, from Manasseh, Ebal in Manasseh, yes. to Shiloh in and Ephraim. Ephraim, and then to Judah. Uh, yes. If you look well, there were a couple of little stops on the way also, yeah. uh, other ones, but they were very minor. Uh, minor stops where the Ark uh, was taken uh, captive, and then it went to Kiryat Yarim, uh, outside of Jerusalem, and then David took it to Jerusalem. But um, the thing is like this, the Bible was not written as a book of history. It's a book that's written with a theological uh, concept. And when we try to understand the history, not everything is in the way that we thought it was from just reading uh, the text. And we are very far still from getting a real full picture of how everything happened. The question is, how many tribes were there? When were there t 12 tribes? Were there 12 tribes? According to the Bible, Ishmael, the father of all the Arabs, also had 12 tribes. Esau had 12 tribes. Aram had 12 tribes. The Greeks even considered themselves as descending from 12 tribes. So this was a concept that was all over the ancient Near East. So we don't know what happened, where and when. I mean, I have all sorts of ideas that eventually I'm going to put down in writing after I read another thousand books or so <laughs> uh, and see what they say about them. But I can give you an example, uh, very simple. Yeah. The footsteps in the Jordan Valley. There were five that were found in, near the Jordan River, and Mount Ebal was also in the shape of a footstep. And I think, I would bet on it even, that each one of those footsteps belonged to a different tribe. Mm -hmm. And that was the congregating point for all sorts of activities of each of which means that there were only six of them in that particular area. But then there might be more footsteps that we didn't find yet. Exactly. So who knows? So yeah. we're still for... What I'm trying to say that... that you really can't say, you know, with any definitive exact statements, oh, this is exactly what was, and that's, we still have a long way to go. Yeah. This is very, very interesting. Um, I'm looking very much forward to, to, uh, to see more of what comes out in that uh, press conference in uh, Texas. Not much more. Not you, much you, more? You heard, no, you, okay. heard, you heard the most of it. Wow. I mean, Thank you for sharing this with no, us. My pleasure. Uh, this this site has been, you know, uh, we have been visited this with our TV station several times, uh, which relates back to Adam Sartal and his uh, um, relationship with one of our, you know, uh, pioneers, Norwegian pioneers uh, working for Israel, Grovenske. Yeah, I heard of him. And uh, so for us, it's also very, you know, significant uh, as a place to, 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 to stop by. And we hope that uh, uh, it will still be available for us to, to visit. Uh, do you have any views on, on, on... I have a lot of views, but uh, right now there's... Uh, well, leave politics out of it. It's very difficult. Yeah. Very, very difficult now. 
I can tell you in the last two months, I tried uh, three times to go up there and already had arranged to accompany certain groups up there. And at the last minute, the army said, we can't do it. Okay. So it's, so it's harder to get up there now than it was. Much. Okay. Much. Okay. We have to try them to see what we can do there. I, I'm, whenever I see something and hear something about it, I'm, I read it with great interest. Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you very much, Svi, for this uh, insight into what the, the recent developments that have been around the Altrad Ebal. And I look forward to hearing more both from you and from others around this topic. Thank you very much. Ja, det var alltså det vi hade för denna gången. Tusen hjärtligt tack för att ni har följt oss på denna genvetprogrammet och på ensyn igen nästa vecka. Tusen tack för mycket.